Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. Our current series is entitled The Roles of a Man. We are led by Don Mutton, the singles minister at Houston's First Baptist Church, and Eric Reed, the minister to men and married young adults at Houston's First Baptist. We're glad that you're joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day. Welcome. Hey, we're going to get started. Last week we got a really late start, and, and Don informed me that uh, basically, the last 20 minutes was him uh, vomiting data and information <laughs> upon everybody. So we, we agreed, Don, I agree. Well, it was it. small chunks, though. It wasn't, it wasn't large. Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm flashing back because my daughter had a stomach bug last night, literally. So from like midnight to 3.30, I was basically picking up the carpet and dressing her and, and taking care of her. So that's probably why I used the vomiting, Don. But um, hey, why don't you pray? Why don't you pray for us? And uh, we'll get started. Father, thanks for your love for us, and thanks for this time together. We do pray for your uh, guidance and for your uh, spirit to lead us. Father, we pray we'd be encouraged because uh, of your spirit and your love for us, and that you can uh, raise us up and be uh, the godly men that you desire us to be. Father, we ask that you would uh, make it clear uh, those areas we need to grow in. Father, you make it clear those areas that we're doing great in, and you'd give us a real picture of the days ahead. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we said, the, uh, we're, we're doing the roles of a man, and uh, Don sent me an email. Some of you may have heard it, but when I hear roles, uh, like we have a performance review. How many of y'all have performance reviews at work? Y'all get those? Yes. And your roles, you're measured by sort of goals you've set and roles you've got, and there's always sort of this oppressive nature of that whole thing. And, and so Don sent me an article that I thought was really cool. It says, men are just happier people. I thought in, in light of the heaviness of roles, this might be a, a, pretty good, a pretty good beginning. What do you expect from such simple creatures? Your last name stays put. The garage is all yours. Wedding plans take care of themselves. Chocolate is just another snack. You can be president. You can never be pregnant. You can wear a white t-shirt to a water park. You can wear no shirt to a water park. Car mechanics tell you the truth. The world is your urinal, and, and my son will attest to this. <laughs> Seriously, we, it doesn't matter where we are. We, we were at a baseball game. I potty trained him. And we were at a baseball game, and my son literally, I, I'm looking, and he is in the parking lot, just in the parking lot, not behind anything, seeing how far it goes. And I'm just like, look, you can't, you can't do it. But the world, it's, it's genetic. The world is a man's urinal. You never have to drive to another gas station restroom because this one is just too icky. You don't have to stop and think of which way to turn a nut on a bolt. Same work, more pay. Wrinkles add character. Gray hair adds attraction. Wedding dress, $5,000. Tux rental, $100. Amen to that. People never stare at your chest when you're talking to them. Although a lot of times they wonder if I have a chest. So they do sometimes when they're just checking that one out. Uh, the occasional... What's that? They look more at my belly. That's right. The occasional well-rendered belt is practically expected. New shoes don't cut, blister, or mangle your feet. One mood all the time. Phone conversations are over in 30 seconds flat. You know stuff about tanks. A five-day vacation requires only one suitcase. You can open all your own jars. You get extra credit for the slightest act of thoughtfulness. If someone forgets to invite you, he or she can still be your friend. Your underwear is $8.95 for a three-pack. Three pairs of shoes are more than enough. You almost never have strap problems in public. I hope not. You are unable to see wrinkles in your clothes. Everything on your face stays its original color. That's pretty cool. The same hairstyle lasts for years, maybe decades. 
uh, you only have to shave your face and neck. You can play with toys all your life. Your belly usually hides your big hips. That's not you. You're not, you're not there, buddy. One wallet and one pair of shoes, one color for all seasons. You can wear shorts no matter how your legs look. You can do your nails with a pocket knife. You have freedom of choice concerning growing a mustache. You have, man, I hope my daughter, seriously, I've got three of them, and I so hope they don't have to do that, like, thing on the mustache. Anyhow, you can do, Chris, well, at four, my, my oldest daughter, she's eight now, I, I told my wife, she said, she's got leg hair. It's like, we've got to put on organic meat, organic milk, organic everything, because she's already got leg hair, and she's four. And so this whole mustache thing is really worrying me. Um, anyway, you can do Christmas shopping for 25 relatives on December the 24th in 25 minutes. Thanks to the internet, you can actually do it faster than that, I've discovered. No wonder men are happier. Send this to the women who can handle it and to the men who will enjoy reading it. So uh, as we talk about roles, there's a serious side. Uh, that's just uh, many reasons why I think it's great to be a man uh, from the simple side of life. Don's going to, in, in turf, I thought that was you last week. Yeah, and, sorry, yeah. I had to run instead of we were done. No, no, no. I had to leave earlier. Anyway, Don's going to do a little recap of last week because he did vomit on you. And so, uh, yeah. let's you... Okay, last week and this week are most content-oriented. The next three will be much more spread out, much more discussion-oriented. There will be a couple points today which we'll have some discussion on and stuff. And so, please, though, stop us at any point and say, hey, clarification... Any help, add-ons, etc. Okay, so we have um, more than just the notes right here. Hey, um, I put a bucket over here, and so we mentioned the last week that the materials and stuff. If you want to help out with those things, the uh, cost materials, cost of goodies, all that kind of stuff. If you want to help out, love to have you help out with that. Turn to page. Uh, let me see here. Let's go to. Um, let's go to. page six for you. And just a reminder that one of the things that will make this class good and better will be if you uh, have somebody that you have come with and you kind of have a discussion about this Starbucks later on. If you have a discussion, if you're out of the same Sunday school class, a Bible study class, then uh, it would be great to have that discussion further. Uh, this material is not copywritten. The guy, uh, Dave McLaughlin, gets a lot of credit for the material. I've talked to David several times. Uh, he actually came here, Roger Bridgewater, Mark Kohler, uh, two uh, fine Sunday school teachers here at First Baptist, to say it was the number one material that helped them in, as a man and helped them within their marriage and helped them within, uh, at the time Mark heard it, he was single, as a single adult, what, what role, where do I, how do I fit, how does this all connect? And so uh, talking to David McLaughlin, he says, this is my material, this is God's material, and so you're welcome to uh, copy this, use it. Take it on. In fact, it's right now. This material with the answers to the questions is online at our summit website. We'll make it available uh, for you in a PDF form, so you can't change the answers. No, we'll put it. Uh, we'll make that available to you online, so you can take that, use that any place. Right now, we have a group in, in Spain that are using it to walk through with their uh, half their guys. Uh, half the group is a, is a group of guys, and which walking through this with them. And so, uh, if you want to use this anyway, we really encourage that. We talked about, on page 6, we talked about rules, laws, and principles. We talked about the fact of how this kind of fits all together. unique distinctions between what is rules and moral law. We talked about that being in a football game. There are rules, you step out of bounds, the, the, the play stops there. We talked about principles. There are principles within a football game. There's things that you do to establish 
want to establish the, the pass, you make sure you have the run established. If you want to make sure that you win championships, you have a good defense. There are principles within that. There are roles within the team. Everybody has their function within that game, within that team. So a quarterback has a role, a, a wide receiver has a role, a lineman has a role. Everybody has a role within that. You have your gifts and abilities. You have some that are awesome at their abilities and gifts, and so they are great running backs. So they go to the Pro Bowl. Other guys are great functional uh, blocking backs, and they make the other guy look good. And then you have your personal uh, giftedness, your personality, and how you then carry that out within those functions. And so as you look at this, there's kind of the different aspects that kind of... We put this a little bit in a hierarchy idea with the idea that the roles... And oftentimes what we try to do is we inverse this. We want to know what God's will in our life is, and we start on this. What is, the, what is God's will for me? And we make it a very personal question rather than, God, what is your will? And start it on what we already know His revealed will is. Here's his moral code. Here's his rules. Here's his law. Here's his foundation. That's built upon these principles. Here's how you can carry those things out, the wisdom from God. Here's then how you distinctly can carry that out within the ministry. And we start from the bottom and we kind of work that up, and that makes a good, solid foundation for us. And so as you look at rules and laws, we'll make sure that's clear, because we're going to be talking about the roles. We mentioned this today. We'll finish up on principles, and then we'll, we'll head on to roles. So we're dealing with kind of this middle connection point in terms of your growing and maturing and using your gifts to all your all God's abilities. Okay? Everybody with me on that? Let's flip over to uh, page uh, seven. And let's look at this definition that uh, Robert Lewis gives us for a biblical manhood. And it uh, says this, that we will reject passivity, that we'll accept responsibility, that we will lead courageously, and that, that we'll accept uh, God's greater reward. And so... The idea of all, the, all that is that there's something, though, that scares all of us as men, I believe, that we cannot accomplish that. And so what the, the key to all that, we'll talk a little bit further about this, is that God, when he comes and lives in us, actually then walks us out in us and through us, through our gifts and personalities and abilities. And so we are not alone in carrying this out. Part of the reason we do men's ministry is to realize that there's other brothers, there's other men who we can do this with. And so an army is not built up of a, a, a man even though a man can make a difference. It is made up of a group of men that then have a common function and a common uh, a purpose to it. We talked about the first principle. We talked about it having three parts. We talked about the, the leaving. We talked about, uh, keep going, go, going with me, the uh, uh, cleaving. But I want to stop on page nine there for just, uh, just a moment because this leaving aspect is a pretty big area. It's a, oftentimes a flag for us as men if there's, we're having difficulty with the area we could call, call emotional bondage. If it's hard for us to cut or leave emotionally from where we've come from, then at that point we're probably going to struggle with being able to be all that God wants us to be. It doesn't mean you're not a man. It doesn't mean that you're not capable of doing many things. It probably will limit you in terms of all that your relationships can be and all that God would want you to be because it's always going to be, in a sense, a, a ball of, kind of carried behind you. It's a, we, we gave the picture of the mission, and that uh, the, in the movie it, talks, it looks at this guy who gets saved, and he's Rob De Niro is the, is the character, he's playing the character, and he's going up a, 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 a waterfall. And as he gets to the top of it, he's been carrying this, all this baggage of all this past stuff. He was a slave trader, so he carries all of his armor, carries to the top of the fountain, uh, the uh, waterfall. As he gets to the top, he sees one of the people he's put in, been put into slavery, this Indian uh, tribe that he's been put into slavery. And then Indian carries, pulls up a machete and cuts off the uh, bag off the back that he's been trying to carry with him. 
oftentimes emotionally we have baggage that carries with us into all of our relationships, carries into our work, carries into our life, and it's as if we need to be have that cut off so that we can be all that God wants us to be. There's a little test there, and if you answer yes to um, the first one, second, third, and fourth one, potential of being uh, there's potentially some emotional connection, uh, emotional bondage there. If you answer no to the second one, um, then at that point there may be an aspect in which, again, if you answer yes or no to one of those and it makes emotional bondage, it may be something to sit down with another man and say, hey, when I when I talk to my parents on the phone, when I talk to, I, I really struggle with that. I, I struggle with this expectation that I have that I've never been able to get rid of. I've, I've, had, I've had to struggle with making commitment that it just seemed like every time there's a commitment, a decision to be made, I just suddenly weird, weird out on the whole day. I just can't make that decision. You think there's an area. Let that man speak truth into your life. Uh, again, I, I recommend this. All, almost all of my mentors have been counselors. And so I've had free counseling my whole life. And so as I sit down with these uh, mentors and talk through that, we talk through that. Counseling is a wonderful thing. It is a good thing. And so to walk down, we have a, a counseling service here that is um, unbelievable. It's, it's, um, it's grown. It's, it is biblical. It is um, it's not trying to keep you there. It's trying to give you tools so that you can leave there, okay? And so it's a wonderful counseling department. We, what we talked about on page 10, the idea of cleave and the idea of weaving and then that this idea of um, that we are unique and that women are unique and there's a valuable tool. As us men, there's a valuable tool in terms of women. And as we leave, there's a connection point. There's a cleaving that takes place. We talked about also the idea that this can also be done outside of the, the marriage concept. The marriage concept is the most intimate of it, but it's also done, there's one other covenant that takes place, and that's with the church. And so as a single adult, you don't have to wait till I get married to put that to practice. You can actually put that to practice within the church and carry those things out, okay? On page 11 is where we stopped, and we talked about this, the, the idea of becoming one, it's the idea of servanthood, and so the spiritual oneness idea, but the importance then of that is that we can put this to practice. Let's look at the very bottom there. It says, to be done in order. Let's go first to um, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. Let's go back to chapter 12 of Romans. It's really interesting. Right before it goes into this thing on gifts, it talks about a, a foundational piece that happens before... The gifts it kind of puts us back into back into order again. Before it goes into the gifts, which the next few verses go into the gifts, it talks about something that's critically important. Before that, let's look at chapter twelve, verses three through five. Somebody read that, please. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have. As we have many members in one body, but also the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individual, individually members of one another. So it's talking about this idea of one body. It's the idea that we join together, that we leave, we cleave. Again, it's the idea of salvation. I leave my selfishness. I then leave that. I now cleave to God's body the church, I cleave to that, I come together, and I become one with this body, that idea of this humility that comes within the church is the same humility idea 
as you have in Ephesians chapter 5, which talks about we'll die for our wives, okay? And so the idea of this is, as we're talking about the church, the idea that there'd be a oneness, there'd be a closeness, there'd be a connectedness with all of us as one body, that we not see ourselves as above, but we see ourselves as a part, a valuable tool within that whole body. And so it has this wonderful concept. So the idea then is, can this, should this be done in order? So this and Genesis talks about that. So the process of leaving, cleaving, and becoming one actually begins before marriage. We don't wait until we're at the altar to begin living. These principles of manhood, uh, these manhoods, that in fact, we should be practicing these every time that we are as a young man. In a healthy biblical family, the sons should be seen modeled for them leaving, cleaving, and becoming one so that as they enter adulthood, they can begin practicing the very principles that will enable them to become great men. Another place this is modeled and we as men model this. We model this within the church. We model this within this idea of that we are not higher than, but we are servants within the body of Christ. And it is a place to carry out what God has called us to do within our marriages. Let's turn to page 12. How easy it is for man to leave to cleave to a person if he has never left his own family. If we have not left our boyhood behind, it's hard to become a man. If we've not left our self-centeredness behind, it's hard for us to be Christ-centered. And so as we don't, in a sense, become one without leaving in a thing, thing the least, the less than behind to reach for the greater than thing ahead. And so the same thing's true here. The responsibility. Let's go to Genesis and uh, let's look at that verse again. Genesis chapter 2. Uh huh. I'm not going to sleep. Cleave and become one. Uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter three. I don't have it written down. Is there a Bible scholar in the room? I have this. Here you go. Okay. Two nineteen. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Two nineteen. Someone read that. Lord God. Keep going down. Go down to 24. Read that last verse one more time. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She, called, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Uh, the last oh, verse. I'm sorry. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Who is leave written to, put in that verse? It's written to the man, isn't it? Who is cleave written to? Written to the man again. Here's the trick question here. Become one is written to who? Both. It's written to both. And so there's this aspect. So who do you think potentially looks responsible? It looks like the man's held responsible at that point, isn't it? And so the how a marriage goes, it looks as if God will hold the man responsible. As a church goes, I believe also we as men are held responsible for that. Here's what I've seen. This is just observation. 
But whenever I've watched a Young Life group grow, uh, I've watched something uniquely different about it. I have seen some ladies come into leadership in Young Life. They've done awesome jobs. Uh, in fact, they would, they would come in, and they can maintain that group uh, tremendously well. And I've also seen ladies come in, and it's fallen apart. I've seen men come in as leaders, and I've seen them maintain very well. I've also seen men come in as leaders, and they fall apart. But one thing I've watched uh, just uniquely, that if a, a group is going to have explosive growth, it seems like there's a man who takes on something that is unique. That they take on a willingness to say, hey, God, use me and, and do this. And they then, so when I've seen explosive growth, I've usually watched it happen when a man has yielded himself. Now, just, that's just outside observation. But it seems like when there's explosive growth, there's usually men who then are willing to take the lead and say, we are going to lead well. And so it looks as if there's a, a part here that is very critical. And so men have an awesome responsibility. And I think that is to be lovers of and warriors for their church and for their marriages. I believe that they have the same thing as that covenant relationship where they have with a wife. There is a covenant relationship I have with Christ and with his church. And it seems like they would be lovers of and warriors of their church and their marriage. Let's turn to Matthew eleven twelve. Somebody read that. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, forcefully men lay hold of it. Kind of an interesting verse that there's this idea that there are men that, that God seems to use, and when those men are used by God, not that those men were great in themselves, but God, a mighty God uses those men who are willing to let God use them, and that forceful men take hold and advance the gospel. There are three big principles that we're going to make mention of, and we're not going to go, in because of time's sake, into each one of these, but we're going to go real quick through them. The first principle is the area of learning. The first one we had three rules. This is the second principle called learning. <clears throat> and learning, I'm going to read First uh, Peter three seven right there. It's written down in your notes. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now you put behind that husbands, and you put that men. Okay, so you put there. So if you're not a husband yet, you put men in there. <clears throat> and there's knowledge is, is is very important in all this. This idea of knowledge. Of understanding, I think is how some of some says. Past knowledge means this: past experience, present knowledge, future information. It's it's knowledge means I have past experience. I know where they've been. It's present understanding of where we are or the present knowledge, the future information of where we're going. What's the goals? What's the purpose? Where are we heading? And it's given those. And so honor, though it says understanding, it says giving honor to. Honor means to place high value upon. So her opinion, her thoughts, her past, her present, her future, all needs to place the high value upon. I listen to that. I hear that. I bring that information into my own heart. I gather that, and then I say, let me assimilate. Let me figure that out. Let me work through that. Some of you may be married to someone that's gone through a tough past. My wife was got a very tough background. And so it's my responsibility, I think, as a man that I would understand her past as best as I could. That I, as I understood that, that I understand where she presently was, what she's worked through already. 
that I understand maybe things in the future that we'd have to deal with uh, heading into the future. And so I think it's very important. So we've then at that point become kind of a marriage clinic for our kids. We let them see this learning process take place. As I learn and understand my wife, as I learn, I then also display that by learning about my kids. And I, and I learn those things. And so I become a marriage clinic for my kids. On page 13, I think principle number three is loving. And it is a the great understanding as husbands loving our wives, or in a sense men loving people, loving the church as Christ loved the church, as Christ loved others. And so this passage provides us as men a perfect model of how we are to demonstrate love to our wives, but also love for our church. If we do not have love for God and appropriate love for ourselves, then how can we possibly love her? So we have to deal with these two aspects, how to have a love relationship with God and also understanding who we are as people. And both of those things are very critical. Who am I? Understanding that. There's several great tools we have here at the church that I think are great tools. final one is, is leading. These are not all the principles, by the way. These are four pretty big principles that are listed several places within Scripture. But leading is this idea of that we are held as headship. So much attention has been given to the word submit, and that's oftentimes when we get stuck on that word. See that right there in the middle of this? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the beginning of Ephesians chapter 21 through, uh, 5, 21 through 24. Submit to one another starts out the frame. Then it goes into the context. Wives, submit to your husbands. As the, Lord, as the Lord, for the husband, men, are the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Let's look down a little farther. Much attention has been given to the word submit, but much confusion and misunderstanding has been in the result. However, what this passage and the concept of submission means is that the husband's role is to be one to be, of the one who's held responsible. If she is going to submit to me, if she is going to defer to me when decision has to be made, then if what it does is places responsibility onto decisions made by the head. So what it does is it takes responsibility off of her and places it onto me. Okay? And so really the bigger concept in that whole deal is that if she would submit to who? Godly man. Then I am then willing to take credit, take fall for, take responsibility for the decisions made within the family. Does that make sense? And so it takes that off of, she defers that to me. At that point, I take responsibility for. And so the biblical concept is known as headship. It's called headship. Submission is always a lady's to give, and it's never a man's to demand. It's always a lady's to give. I give this to you. And oftentimes you'll even done it, be done at the altar. Probably it's been done before that. If she, if she has to wait to the altar to do that, probably some other things we've got to talk about. But most likely, she's willing, willing to. She's seen your leadership. She's willing to submit to that. At that point, then, she will give that to you as a, as a man. At that point, though, it's not mine to demand from her, but it's mine to take responsibility for. Everybody with me on that? So I think the greater principle is who's held responsible. Eric? Oh, no. I got, I got, I got, yeah, I got oh, okay. okay. And so this, this whole idea is this idea of authority. Look at, look at the next page. This is page 14. <clears throat> Christ and the church, husbands and wives, men and society. See, there's always God and Christ, uh, parents and children. We're all under authority, aren't we? There seems to always be within the Christian world 
never a place in which we can place ourselves at the top of the, of the, of the, of the pack. It's always that we're within. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Read that verse again. Chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence. Submit to one another. Place ourselves under responsibility. We, as a body of Christ, will be responsible to one another. And so it's a great picture of that. Let's flip over to page uh, 16. Any questions so far? Yeah, under loving, what were the two born? Mm-hmm. Are you taking me a page? Uh, 13. Yeah, love for God and uh, ourselves. Can, can, can I, let me, yeah, yeah. please. Can I interject some on the uh, on the uh, learning, loving, and leading idea? Have you all heard the word player before? Like that guy's a player. I'm not talking about basketball. I'm talking about a player. That that describes a man that's done a great job of learning about women, and in particular, maybe an individual lady. He's learned her past, and he's learned what she desires. But he's taken love, sacrificial love, out of the equation and put very self-centered motives in that place, right? And so he uses the learning to get his needs met, but at the time he's, he's, not, he's not fulfilling any of the roles of a man. He's become very selfish in what he's using the learning for. And I want you all to know, I mean, just that, that idea of we learn so that we may love properly, my wife needs to know love for me in ways other than touch. Touch is one of the ways I, I love affection and, and touch. That's one of my love languages, if you've ever read that stuff. But my wife needs me to serve her. She needs me to diaper the kids. She needs me to mow the grass. She needs me to put up dishes, help cook, or do whatever. I mean, that says volumes to my wife. So I've learned about her so that I may love her so that I have earned the right to lead her. And do y'all see how those sort of flow together? And if you ever just, if you put selfishness in the middle of it, it's basically a train wreck. You could be a great learner, but you're going to use your wife or you're going to use a girl to meet your needs. And you'll never have the role of a man. You'll never live out God's best. And so you'll be stuck here missing one of the principles. And that is a key principle is, is learning so that we may love, so that we may lead other women in the body of Christ to something greater. Because we are on that journey, you know, that, that journey of, of becoming more like Christ. And so I, I want to zoom in on, I want to zoom in on, on protector. If y'all would turn to page um, 17, I think, is that, is that the right one? Is the very first one on our role as protector. Yeah. And out beside it, it says a safe maybe, harbor. Maybe 18. And it's 17. Okay. And out, out beside it says a safe harbor. And we're going to unpack that in a couple of pages about what a harbor is, but but if y'all get in your mind, a harbor is a place of safety. It's a, it's a place of refuge for ships, right, in a time of what? Storm. Harbors don't work real well. Uh, they, they don't even have much of a value unless there are storms. And so the one guaranteed thing is, if you haven't figured it out by now, is that life will present lots of storms to us, whether that deals with our jobs or our wives' jobs or you know, future wise jobs and, and emotions, like the family we came from, all those things can provide 
the storms of life that we need a harbor in. And so as we look at our role, I want to start at the very beginning. We've used Genesis and God's order of creation. We've talked about that. I want to look in Genesis chapter 3, if y'all would turn there. And we have an amazing, you know, amazing narrative, amazing story is, is being told here that God has fashioned Adam from the dust and intimately breathed his life into Adam. Adam has come to life. God has created and brought to him the various animals, and none of them really resonate with Adam. He sees all of them and doesn't excite him at all. And then God creates woman special from him, from his flesh. And she is that perfect helper for him. They complete each other. And then in this story, you've got Adam, who has been, in a very real sense, as Donna's already said, given sort of this role of leadership and responsibility inside of the very first family that we see in Scripture, and that's in Genesis 3. And let's, let's start in Genesis 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say to you, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. I want to stop right there. The serpent arrives on the scene, and this, this is your blank here. Does the serpent address Adam or not? No. He avoids Adam, and that's important. That the serpent, when he comes into the scene here, he totally bypasses and avoids going to Adam. He went around the head, he went around the responsible party, and he goes to the vessel called Eve. The question is, how hard was this for the serpent to do? Was Adam out in the fields harvesting some food that they might eat it? Was Adam out visiting with the giraffes and talking about their neck length. If you look on the very same verse that we were on in chapter 3, it's a, it's a really telling tale. I remember the first time I, I saw this was in a book called The Silence of Adam. And he sort of unpacks this. And so here it is, Eve. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that's verse 6, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate... And she also gave some to her husband who was what? With her. Circle that. If you want to know where's the hinge pin of this whole story in the life of a man, it's right there. Adam was with Eve and he didn't sack up and stand up and defend his wife at all. He stayed there, silent. Maybe he was overwhelmed by, wow, a serpent that talks, how cool, I'm mesmerized. I don't think so. I think Adam was basically putting his wife out on the line. That if he saw Eve took it and she didn't die, then Adam was going to take it. 
because he would get the benefit of it too. But if she took it and she did die, Adam wouldn't touch it. He didn't do anything wrong. He's not guilty before God. And God would probably create another Eve for him. I don't think he cherished, honored, or valued Eve. Do you all see that? I mean, I'm reading a little into the text of maybe the motive of Adam. We're not told his motive. But it's absolutely for sure that when we talked about the definitions of a man, it's shun passivity, right? Accept responsibility, lead courageously, and expect God's greater rewards. Adam was passive, right? He didn't accept any responsibility here. He didn't lead his wife courageously. He didn't stand up to the serpent. And he definitely didn't expect God's greater reward. He didn't have a higher call, a higher purpose, a higher motive. So I want you all to see that in this, that silently, this is the next blank here, silently standing alongside of Eve was where Adam was. And after this whole thing happens, Eve has sinned, Adam has sinned, God begins to stroll in the midst of the garden And who does he cycle out to? Who does he call out to? He calls out to the man. Don just said submission is about responsibility. It's about protection. It's about having the responsibility and the weight of that responsibility for someone else. If you run a company or you run a a country, ultimately it should come back on you. And if you're leading a family... I don't think God is going to look to my wife about the quality of our marriage. Doesn't mean she doesn't have a role in it. But I believe first and foremost, he's coming to me. When he looks at my son's integrity and he looks at my son's life, he's going to look at me. Did I create an environment? Did I challenge my son? Did I model for my son? Did I mentor my son? Did I motivate my son? And for each of us, I just had lunch with a man that, that he has tried for years, he and his wife, to conceive, to have a child. He's 41, he's almost 42 years old. And we had lunch today, and, and they're expecting their first child. I mean, it was like they had been through fertility treatments, all this stuff, nothing had happened. And literally, I mean, when he was telling me the story, it was amazing. But he sat there, he was crying. We were at Escalante, he's out in Sugarland, he's crying. He says, and this is a big guy. I mean, this is like a 275-pound guy. He's a big guy. He's not a crybaby. He's a big guy. And he was sitting there like, I, he said, I, I can't explain, but he says, I, I've always known of the man I wanted to be, and now I feel like I have a reason to be that man. But I'm afraid I might not be that man. And so as we begin to move through here, Don talked about we all face those fears. I want to speak courage into you all. If you've embraced Christ, His spirit has been imparted into you, into me, into us as men. Not for any other reason, but that these things would actually happen. We would walk uprightly in this generation, in the roles that he's given us. And the first role is that of a protector. If y'all would turn the page there. Men make a difference. I mean, if I could yell one thing every day and put it on a tape and listen to it. Men make a difference. Let me say this. One man makes a difference. Don talked about it. It's not just one man, but it is one man. Also, in Ezekiel 22, God said, I looked for a thousand men among them who had built... No, 
I look for a men. It's an indefinite article. They could have, in Hebrew, they could have used the number. They could have indicated a number. A man, one man I look for. Just one. And if I would have found him, I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. So what will I do? Here's what he'll do. I will pour out my wrath on them and consume, consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. One man would have made a difference in Ezekiel's time. In Genesis, think about Noah. The entire generation was depraved and wicked. And God saw in one man and his family a reason to continue and to save part of, a remnant of humanity, right? And he did because one man was trying to walk uprightly with God in a crooked and perverted generation. One man makes a difference. And then later in Genesis, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, God came and said, if I can find 10 guys, 10 men that are walking with me, I am not going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, if I can find five, if I can find three, if I... One man. One man. And again, the city was utterly destroyed in Genesis 18. You see that. Don came Scott... across the other day the, the, a uh, verse that was unbelievable. Second, it was only Second Samuel, chapter 10. This great verse, and uh, this was not originally the materials at all, and so, but it's one of those verses that just pops out at you. Anybody have by chance King James here? Or, yeah, or, or, or King James or NAS? Kicking it old school. NAS, yeah, 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 great. Um, read from uh, 2 Samuel 10, 11 through 12. 2 Samuel 10, 11 through 12. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. I love the way it says that. Let us play the man. Let us play, does it say the men in the earth? The men. No, let us play the men. Let us play the man. Let us play the part of what God has called us to. I think in your NIV it says, fight bravely for our people. Let us fight bravely. But it's this concept of that we don't fight for ourselves. This is not a selfish oriented idea. We fight for others. The idea is we stand up for others. We take that role and we stand up for our church. We stand up for our community. We stand up as men, not because it's self-gratifying, uh, not because it gives us interest, but it's, it's protecting our nation, it's protecting our society, it's protecting, and we stand up because there's something worth fighting for. We fight for others. And we, and we, we know the quote, you know, all that it takes for evil to, to prosper and to advance is what? Good men to do nothing. Good men to do nothing. <clears throat> Again, passivity, silence, not standing, not active. Christ called us to be salt and to be light. Two preserving elements, two, you know, penetrating elements. Darkness doesn't overwhelm light. Light, one, one candle in this room, if we turn all the lights off, one candle dispels darkness. That is to be our model. That's to be the metaphor for the life of any man, is that we should dispel darkness where we are. In the marketplace, I look at our country even. We, need, we needed and have needed good men in the marketplace to stand for principles beyond the bottom line and beyond greed. 
and we reap today in our country a, a society where a lot of good men probably sat silent. And I don't blame them, I blame myself as well. But we can make a difference, especially beginning in your church, into the marketplace, and into your homes, that, that those ripples come out of the life of a godly man. There's some, there's some questions we have. Am I, am I jumping out? Or? There's some questions we have on the very next page there, questions for thought. Uh, does a godly man make a difference to a city or a nation? I mean, what do you all think? Yeah, I mean, the, the answer is yes. I mean, we just try to hit that and pound that, but, but absolutely. But in your heart, you may doubt that. Well, then, hey, tonight, when you are going to bed, bring that before God and say, God, I, I really don't necessarily believe that, that I could make a big impact in this world, in my home, at the marketplace. If you doubt that, don't, don't just shove it and give the, the right answer. Yes, a man makes a difference. But embrace the question. Bring it before God and say, God, would you show me, would you make me the man that makes the difference? Because there's ripples around us, every relationship around us that are needing godly men. Yes. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about a, a man's faith in, 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 on multiple occasions. It also talks about a couple ladies' faith, but it talks about the faith issue of a man on each one of those situations. Absolutely, Abraham being a great example of that. Perfect. Yeah, that's a great, a great example. Does a godly man make a difference in a family or a church? I've always said this, as a, as a man goes, so as, as the men go, so goes the church. If the men are players... And not and live in hypocr hypocrisy. You'll have the, the the thoughts. If you grew up in church, many of you did. You saw the people who acted like Christians on Sunday and did not live that during the week, and you knew them. You, you might have even been insulted by it. You might have even been disgusted with it. Might in fact, the number one criticism we have of the church is hypocrisy, and it's usually the men. The hypocrisy is is focused on the priests in the church. We're covering up. Think about it. And so, oftentimes, responsibility. Society places on the men for not standing up as leaders within that, that group. And so it um, makes a gigantic difference. And God promises his judgment begins in the house of God. When I was in seminary, I had a friend, uh, and she, she was also in seminary in the counseling area. She was date-raped by a seminary student studying to be a pastor. And that student wasn't expelled from the school. Disciplined, but not expelled. You know, all I know, the guy ends up getting ordained and is in the ministry, and, and, and I pray to God that there's been repentance and restoration, but to my knowledge, there wasn't any at that point in time other than, you know, a big silence from sort of the school about the whole situation, and I was sitting there with, with a sister in Christ that was devastated, and I'm like, this is a, we, we can look at ministers or what, we're all held accountable, we're all held accountable. Whether we're Judas or whether we're Peter, whether we're Paul, we're all held accountable. And there's no reason to, to play it or fake it. it it's all going to come out. So let's be real. Let's be real with one another. That's what community is all about. Let's, let's be real and stand for God. Um, I think time's short. I think we've we got to step up. Um, 
Here, here's a question, and you know we don't have to blurt an answer out, but just to think reflectively, are, are, are you, am I, is Don a holy and courageous man on behalf of church and family? You know? I mean, we know the right answer, but you know the real answer, the middle of the night answer, that I'm laying on my bed in the morning, and before I get out of bed, do I know, am I getting out with a purpose? Or am I just sort of numbed out to the whole deal? I'm just going through the motion, and the next thing is the next thing is the next thing. And, and, and to ask that. Number seven says, a, does a loving, what does a loving, emotionally involved man bring to society, to a family or church body, what a loving, emotionally involved woman cannot bring. What's your thoughts? Senator Rolls of Man, is there a distinction there? Is there anything that a man brings that a gal can't bring? some ladies who could do that. But it seems like a dad could do that or a man could do that. Authority? Leadership. Authority, leadership, definitely. I don't know if ultimately it's all that much different other than God's made it that way. The, the responsibility is placed on the man to do that. And if a gal carries it out, amen. I think it's great. I think a godly, emotionally involved woman should bring those things. It should bring the right, the, these, I, but I think it's still, my mom is a strong lady. It's wonderful. I mean, my oldest brother's a judge. Uh, my uh, next brother's the pastor of the largest Southern Baptist Church in Illinois. My youngest brother's a doctor. And uh, my mom can out-talk us all. I mean, she can, she, my dad told me I should be an undertaker to cover up all the other brothers' mistakes, but I didn't want to go that way. So anyway, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the point of it is, is I, I, mean, I love my mom. And, but my dad understood the biblical rule. And my mom is a strong, talented lady. And I, I appreciate that in her. But my dad took responsibility. And so if something needed to take, he wore the pants of the family. Uh, well, here's the way Margaret Thatcher said it. Uh, when I get to 51 Downing, I know who wears the trousers. <laughs> and so the question was asked, you run England, who runs your house? And her statement was, I know who wears the trousers. And so she placed herself, when she walked in that door, she placed herself under her husband's authority. It was, a, it was an amazing statement to be made in terms of just society, order society. And so I, there's an interesting part there. I said, that's kind of one of those interesting questions. Let's, let's, turn to, uh, let's turn on to page 21 here. We talk about this unimportant... Un Unbelievable, wonderful aspect is we as men make a difference. So, but let's let's flip this into. Let's not make this into men are more important. Let's make this into an understanding that there's a there's a connection point between these. So, difference between men and women, and the the two areas that seem to kind of correlate between this. The role for ladies is this idea of companionship. The idea for man that seems to fit with with connects is the idea of protector. The idea of number one desire of a woman is for companionship. The good companion needs, though, this idea of protector, the safe environment to develop and grow properly in. So if we're going to have the right kind of companionship with a loved one, let me say it this way, let me, say it, let, me, let me take it out of the marriage context. If we're going to have the right kind of relationships, companionships, deep 
fellowship, the Paul and Silas's, the David and Jonathan's, I believe it requires that we also make an environment here at First Baptist that would make a difference and would be absolutely deep, that we as men would go and really understand one another, that we would protect the ladies, children, everybody. We set this environment that true companionship can take place. So companion is not a buddy. The idea of companionship is not just an idea of buddyship kind of idea. It's not hanging out only. It's not the idea where we go we'll take a walk. But it's rather companion is a person who is bonded or in the process of bonding. Here's how Eric and I have said it to each other. Eric, you are as like a brother to me. And as we say those terms to one another, uh, then that, as we talk about that, we then have the ability to make a connection. So if something's going on in Eric's life that's pretty tough, he's probably going to tell me about it. Maybe not as soon as it happens, but there's going to be an aspect. When, something, when I got tough decisions, I don't wonder, I don't know if I can tell. I go, hey, Eric, I got something. I don't know, man, I got this opportunity. I got this situation. I got these circumstances going on. And there's a connection there because we've built a friendship that is, that is close like brothers, like, like being. And so not only are we, in a sense, a body of Christ, not only are we in one family, the church, but we're also brothers in terms of our willingness to depend upon each other. And so our families, it's kind of interesting, that our families have even kind of done the same thing. So our, his two oldest and my two uh, youngest are like best buds. I mean, they're, they're, if you ask what do you want to do, he says, I don't know, but listen, can, we, can the Reeds go with us? That's always kind of the question. Yeah, we want to go uh, play baseball? Can the Reeds go? Want to go back? Can the Reeds go? That's always kind of, kind of the ongoing. I don't know about the Reeds can go every night, guys. But. <laughs> so it's this idea, companionship. Here's what it means. For most men, the difficulty with bonding is that it requires communication Okay, it involves talking. <laughs> it involves letting people know. It involves commitment. Uh oh, two things that are often as very difficult as men because you say, uh oh, if I commit to something, I'm not obligating myself. I'm now responsible for something. Well, let me say, let me say, let's go back into this role. We already, in a sense, as men, we're responsible. Okay, there's there's a, an aspect in which we take on that leadership. So we're already held responsible. So we now are not fooling ourselves anymore, but this idea of talking and taking on that commitment. We tend to get involved ahead of commitment, involvement. And so here's how it works for a single guy. I start having talks and private conversations before I let my commitment be known. I start getting involved with this girl physically, emotionally. Uh, maybe we're having prayer time together, devotion time together. And I start getting involved, but I hold the commitment and I reserve it. I keep it kind of back here. She's wanting to have the DTR discussion to find the relationship discussion. I'm holding that in reservation because I'm just checking it all out. But what God wants us to do, what, what protection says is I make my commitment known. I get make my involvement, my communication says, here's what I'm committed to. Here's what my dad says in his Sunday school class. He teaches a class, oh, these are old men. And dad's 80, um, almost 82 now. And uh, so he goes to his class every year. Beginning of the year, he says, uh, Men, I'm so excited about what God's doing in our lives, and I look forward to the days ahead. I am committed to being your Sunday school teacher. I'm going to be here for the next 42 weeks out of 52. I'm going to take 10 weeks off. During those 10 weeks, I've got two weeks in which I'm going to go on a mission trip, and I will not be here. I have four weeks I'm going to be at, at some of my kids who live out of town. I have, and then he'll stay, and he knows, he tells them in advance what they, but my commitment is I will read my Sunday school lesson in advance, I will pray for you regularly. And I will make sure that when I come, I come prepared as best as I can do. I would like to ask you to do the same thing. As you'll make a commitment to this class, that we'll be involved in this class, that we'll share where we're at. He also has a commitment with his donut men. 
who's known to men. Some of them are believers, some are not believers. And he makes commitment here. He says, hey, guys, if you ever need me, I'm going to be here. Now, he can't say that I want you to commit to the same thing. But whenever these old men are struggling in life, whenever their, their spouse has cancer, whenever they're struggling with something with their siblings or with their, their, their kids, who's the first person they're going to tell? The person they have the commitment with. And so they come back and say, hey, Eldon, would you pray for me? I don't, I don't know. I'm... And so usually they wait till everybody's had all them joking around. And at the end of it, the conversation with the real conversation takes place. As they go, hey, hey Eldon, can I, can I talk to you just a minute? And then they have the conversation with him. My dad was a boilermaker, a welder, tough, big, strong guy. And as he did that, he just knows that he waits, he makes the offer, and waits for the big, strong man to come to him. When they come, they usually come uh, just ready to, to gush and ready to, to deal with those things. The companions, this idea of protector, what companionship needs is the idea of communi- uh, communication and commitment. The question is for your thought. Have you ever had second thoughts about how to communicate with women in your life? Okay, not just your wife, but women. Have you had second thoughts about how you communicated to them? I tell guys, uh, single adult guys, get off the email. What you do in private needs to be done in public. If you're not willing to do it in public, it should not be done in private. It's not okay. If you have a phone conversation and it's sweet nothings, but when you act in public like nothing's going on, that ain't the way it goes. You have a conversation with her in public, you develop that relationship, and then you say, hey, I'd like to get to know you more. Could I make this commitment with you? I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to go out with you. I'd like to have this and have a date. And you make those things forthright. Have you ever had the, convic- the conviction by the Holy Spirit about any boundaries you've crossed? Issues and areas. You can be in a married relationship and cross boundaries pretty easily. Okay, So this is not, a, not dealing with just married and single, but you can cross those boundaries pretty easily. Let's look at uh, 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. Listen to this. And younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Here's what the word purity means in, in, in the Greek. It means to take a clay pot, which is going to have its valuable uh, uh, content poured into it. Whatever it holds is going to be critical that it holds that. And so what they would do is they take they would put olive oil in it. They make sure that pot was good. And here's how they do that. They lift that pot up to the sun, and they get their face up against it. As they look into it, they say, is it pure? And they could see whether or not there were any cracks in it. Because they didn't want to put their valuable oil or their valuable water into a crack pot. Same thing's true with us. We need to treat the valuable uh, women in our lives, the people who are being entrusted to us, the people, the girls that walk in here, the men who are fragile walk in here, people that walk in here, and we cannot be, as men of God, crackpots. We have to treat them with purity. We have to treat them as the importance. Uh, Don Ronica made this line uh, important, that we would not have false oneness. Okay? We have oneness with Christ. We have oneness with the body of Christ. We have oneness with our spouse. We do not, there's many areas in which you can have false oneness. You can have kind of a liaison at work with a gal who you have kind of a kind of a fun time with. And you have this little, you find yourself then having fantasy. I think one of the most, uh, um, maybe one of the cruelest things I've ever heard in my life. Um, my good buddy's a, he's a, a lieutenant a, a major in the army now. And uh, his mom, beautiful lady, had um, been married, been abused by men uh, for her beauty. Uh, she was a trophy kind of thing. And uh, her uh, husband at the time uh, would, would, as making love to her, would have to have a Playboy magazine next to him to be aroused. Now, I think about that, and I think, boy, what an unbelievably cruel situation 
to be having an act of love, should be, but having an act of sex now, done on this woman while having a fantasy about someone else. Now, so what happens is, is we have to be careful, men, because what happens is we start creating false oneness. That may happen on the internet, that may happen in our mind, that may happen at work, that may be happening any place else. But one of the things we have to be unbelievably good at is not that we would let any fissions take place in this body, in this vessel, that God would make it holy, that God would make it in a way that we could be held accountable for and responsible for those things. Let's, uh, let's, let's turn the page and... Are you wrapped on that? Yeah, let's look at... Let's just talk about protection for a minute. What, what comes to your mind when you hear the word protection? Safety. Definitely. Other stuff. Danger. Danger, yeah, so you need protection. Peace of mind. Covering. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good, that's a very good image. Yeah, covering. Awareness. Awareness of the threat or, of, yeah. Other stuff on protection. Trust. Protection, I love the idea of covering. It's a, it's a really, that's a beautiful picture, you know. I really, I like that, and trust. There, there's a physical side of protection. I, I think that I, I grew up, uh, and, and if you said, hey, what's protection? I would say it's, you know, that my dad has a forty-five underneath the bed. You know, that, that he's got a shotgun here, and, and, and that's sort of the level of protection. And yet, in, in my house, uh, there was pornography, you know, what type of protection was that for two young sons growing up in a house, right? Uh, there, was, there was alcohol available. My dad wasn't an alcoholic, although he had wrestled with that in a chapter of his life. Um, there, was, there was profanity. It doesn't mean my dad's a bad man. My dad's a great man. If you met him, you, you would not know this. There, there was a chapter that God, he didn't have a passion for God, sort of my younger years going on. But but out of, out of this, protection goes beyond the physical, and it is setting an atmosphere. And that's what I want us to zoom in on, is really that, that protection is providing that atmosphere. We're honoring and cherishing those things. It's a spiritual protection. It's an emotional protection. First couple of years of my marriage with my wife, Stacy, she's a quiet lady. I'm a Jabberwocky, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy, I've got a billion words, and she has six. So if, if she speaks, you ought to really listen to my wife, because she's got a lot of wisdom, and, and she's thought about what she says. And I was finding that I was like, well, what's wrong? And she'd say, nothing. And I knew something was wrong. And I was like, well, honey, wait, what, what's wrong? Nothing. And I, finally, one day, she sort of caved and told me, and she says, well, I just, I just don't think I can tell you. Now, we had been married maybe a year and a half or two years right in there. Now, I don't know about you, but hearing that's not what you want to hear from your wife. It's not what you want to hear from your fiancé. It's not what you want to hear from a girlfriend. But this is my wife. And I asked her why, and it was because earlier in our marriage, she tried to share some real feelings with me, emotional reality with Eric Reed, And Eric Reed puts on his... You know, my tool belt, my hard hat, and I'm Bob the Builder, and I'm going to fix the problem, you know, and I'm start hammering, well, you, this is just why you feel this way, and this is why, and all I was doing was creating an unsafe emotional environment. Intimacy couldn't grow. 
oneness doesn't grow. And so as men, the physical protection is, is huge. Man, absolutely, your wife needs to know that if she's in public, you are her warrior. But she also needs to know that you're her lover and her friend and all those other things that you protect. She can trust you with her heart because you honor her by listening and understanding and receiving her. And the physical act of sex, and not to be too graphic here, but it is, it is literally you entering into her, your initiative into her, her receiving you, but it's done in a blanket of safety, in a blanket of intimacy, in a blanket where you know and trust her, and she's vulnerable and naked with you, and you're vulnerable and naked with her. It's just an act of sex if there's not the protection of the emotional and spiritual side of that relationship. It just becomes an act. Uh, Bob Mould, I don't know if you guys have heard of the band Husker Du from the 80s. It's an old, old band from Minnesota. But, but he... What was the name of that band? Husker Du. But he, uh, he, he wrote <laughs> a song... Heard of that band? <laughs> Kurt, Co- well, Kurt Cobain was asked who, who had the biggest impact on him musically... And he's a Nirvana, and it was it was Bob Mould. They 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 sort of carved out a, a niche as a power trio. But anyhow, Bob Mould wrote a song called "The Act We Act," and it was about him and his wife, former wife, and their their bedroom experience. There was no intimacy. It was the act they act. It was just the act we act. The act of sex. That was it. It was a physical deal. No emotional reality. Their marriage was dead, and eventually it was over. And, and that song has stuck with me in my marriage because I don't want it ever to be that way with my wife. I don't. I don't want her to ever think this is an act we act. This is the exchanging of our hearts, and it's a physical expression of something that we've already done in here. Does that make sense? So this idea of protection, a huge, huge deal. Webster's defines protection as the act of protecting the state of being protected, defense, and I love this one, shelter, encouragement of home industry by duties on import, don't worry about that one, or bounties, excellent. But the idea of shelter, and as you just said earlier, I don't know your name, but you said cover, covering, it's a great one. The concept of protection brings to mind images of a safe haven, number one, Number two, a resting place. A safe haven or a resting place. And as Don is, is drawing up on the board here, he's drawing a, a picture. Well, come for the pictures. And uh, this is, uh, this is uh, LeBron James here right no, here, the basketball uh, I guy. I kind of went with this. I kind of went with the sailboat idea. I thought it was the number four and you yeah. flipped it. No, this is a sailboat right here. Okay, it's a sail. <laughs> I thought that sail. was boat number four coming into the harbor. It's number four, okay? It's number four sail, and it also is a steamboat. It's time. four sail? It could it's be like three. So a lot of people would have sell that. And this is kind of a steering wheel right here. I thought that was like, like a basketball head guy. It looks a little bit like that. That's good. No, it's it good. can go a lot of ways. If people come for the drawings all the time, these are waves, by the way. This is like the ocean, and so you have the, the fires of hell are yeah. consuming. Yeah. So the, the, no, no. Let's let's go with that. So the 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 storms of okay. life. Excellent. Good hang point. with me on the storms of life. 
the waves, if you're out there too long, get a little seasick, okay? Get a little green. Sorry, anybody been seasick? Anybody get motion sickness? Yeah, I say that all that. So always want some of the fun stuff. So hopefully this isn't making you seasick or motion sickness here. Very realistic, though. Very realistic. And then the idea, though, is that you pull this ship into the harbor. This is a harbor. This is the wharf. See that? There, here. That's the, the character from Star Wars. That's, no, this is, and this is, this okay. is the same boat. You okay. can kind of tell. See that? See how that kind of works? Okay. And, yeah. and so you pull it. It's, it's the idea of a safe haven or a safe harbor that we take from life. We're going to be going out and deal with all these things. But we come into the church. When we come into this uh, realm with this man is making safe. These men are saying, this is a safe haven. This is a place in which we protect you, that you can be safe. And we'll deal with a whole bunch out of this, this idea of pulling pull into the, the harbor. So it's the safe haven. You can, uh, I can draw these. If you even draw this on your, on your, uh, your paper there and sign it, I can't later. We so. can photo it if you've got a photo of it. Yeah. Um, hey, let me, one, one, one component of this safe harbor is grace. It's a grace-filled environment. When you're protecting, when you're bringing protection, you're bringing a grace-filled environment. That, that failure's not final. Uh, your wife can say, I messed up. You have, your kids could have a problem. They could mess up and still be able to come to the home and share because they know that there's a protection that's there. And they're not going to be shamed for a failure, but there is grace there, but the grace is always redemptive. It's always to take them to the next step, the next place. It's, it's uh, in a very real sense, if you think about uh, sports psychology, I studied that in college and love it. Uh, I think, you know, the psychology of, of, of champions versus the psychology of the runner-ups. Um, they did a study of Olympic gold medalists, the people that medaled, you know, they did it over a long span of time, and they gave them a questionnaire about what motivated them. And what they found that were for gold medalists, the number one motive, was the desire to be the very best that they could be. The desire to achieve greatness. That inspired them, it fueled them, it let them practice long hours, it let them give up a lot of free time and a lot of stuff. You think about a Lance Armstrong, you think about a Michael Jordan, a LeBron James, a Kobe Bryant. These guys have a passionate desire to be the best that they can be. Doesn't matter what team you put those guys on, every one of them is going to be making their team. They're going to have that passion. The people that got to the Olympics but never got to that level across the board, their great motive was a fear of failure was driving them. They feared failing, so they worked really hard so they wouldn't fail. Well, I, I don't know about you, but if we're talking about creating a safe harbor, we want to create a place where there is this desire. Your wife has a desire to be the greatest lady of God she could be. Um, Don's wife, Denise, I don't know if we have time to share it, but... We'll probably move on. Okay. See, it's the idea of making an encouraging atmosphere. We say with the boys in, in Little League, number one thing we want to do is for you to have fun. If this atmosphere is fun, they'll come back and practice, okay? So the practice is going to happen... But if the atmosphere is wrong, if it's, you know, if it gets, they're not going to come back, right? And so the atmosphere is critical for the components to come out of them. And so when you look at the men as, as the guardians and protectors of the atmosphere of home, church, office, society, this is much broader than just marriage, okay? So this is men's roles. There are several areas in which this is important. And it's uh, extrasensory perception, the next page, ESP. Mm -hmm. Extrasensory ESP perception. Important. Now we're going to talk about the new age spirit guide that I've got. 
No, it's oh, emotional. Okay. It's emotional. I'm so sorry. Emotionally, spiritually, and physically. That those are the three arenas that men should be guarding and protecting, both at home, in church, in your office, in society. We should be making it safe emotionally, spiritually, and physically. That the godly and confident man is also capable of making it safe to communicate. To communicate. The deeper things of life are not just facts and opinions. I mean, if you, if you chart that out, you can have that conversation with any stranger on the street. It's a warm day today, isn't it? That's a fact. You know? The economy's not doing well, is it? Well, that's all you got going on with your family, your friends, your Bible study class. Someone's not creating the environment that real talk, real conversation needs to be taking place. So it's not just the facts and opinions. Um, Don, let's this is a zoom great into the verse. Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. And uh, they're written down in your, in your, past, in your uh, notes there, page 23. Somebody read that. Uh, Genesis 18, 19. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. It's an unbelievable verse because it, it actually mentions all four of these principles we're going to talk about. But it does, it does this one we're talking about presently, protect in a unique way. See, the first part, direct his children his household. That's talking about the leader guide. To, to, in a sense, uh, direct his children his household. He's dealing with this idea of being a leader and a guide. The idea of after him is setting the example, leader, guide, and also spiritual teacher. We'll talk about how that all fits together. And so you, this first one it talks about the leader, guide. The next part, after him, that is an example, leader, guide, and also the spiritual teacher. But it also, to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just is dealing with the spiritual teacher. Now it's just dealing with the spiritual teacher, which is one of our roles again. And then the final one here, that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him, God as provider. Now, you say, well, Don, we just talked about protector. Where's protection at in here? Well, look at the whole atmosphere of the passage. See, it deals with this leader guide. It deals with a spiritual teacher. It deals with what kind of atmosphere is being set up. If Abraham does that, what kind of atmosphere does he have? Isn't it pretty safe? Isn't it pretty, wow, that's, a, that's the right kind of atmosphere. I want something we can talk about the deep things of God in. I want to be able to say, hey, let me lead you rightly in. Let me give you the tools that you can take out. There's, man, it's awesome. Here's what I love to hear. My son, we, we, we want to have family devotions, and so we struggle with trying to get the right family devotion. We finally found a book that really helps him in his family devotion, and it's, he loves facts and figures, okay, yeah, just like his dad. And so he has this book, and it has a, a fun fact, how were French fries first invented, or how was a hot dog first invented. And then it, talks, then it gives a little Bible verse with it. Well, he got really interested. I mean, we don't miss that book. I mean, we, we're, we, we're going through that. And then he, now what he's saying is, hey, Dad, where's that verse found out? And now we're going into the Bible and reading from that where that's found in the Bible. So now we're reading the context of it. And it's really fascinating that he's now got excited that the Bible can lead to understanding of facts and figures. That it, Oh, wow, that makes sense. And so now he wants to find out. And so we've just tried to create at nighttime this atmosphere of, hey, it's okay, let's talk about what's going on. You can tell me if you're, if you're sad, you can tell me if you're scared, you can tell me what's happened, what you're excited about, tell me whatever. And so now that atmosphere is starting, Dad, I'm excited about what's going on. 
and he's taking the next step into it. And so this whole passage is dealing with this idea of being the protection. Now, God is our, is our strength is, is a section I want to hit on real quickly. And that is that how many of y'all are, are married in there? How many of y'all, as you entered into your marriage, or even after your, after your wedding, you have wrestled with uh, a sense of, I don't know if I can be the man I need to be. I've blown it, or I'm not that guy. I mean, how many of y'all have honestly felt that, wrestled with that, had those thoughts? How many of y'all have kids, and you felt those thoughts of, man, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with a son or a daughter. You know, I've never done this before, and I'm sort of scared of what it's going to be like. If, if you're not married yet, you know, you may, I know I did, I pictured myself, I couldn't wait to get married to, to this girl I was dating, and I was like, well, we get proposed, and now we're engaged, but I had the excitement, but also had those, those fears welling up, and, and, and I want a, a truth of Scripture that just flows throughout Scripture is that God is our strength, and uh, in Isaiah 49. The number, this, yeah. the, the number one thing I hear when I teach with, with uh, young men that are not married is uh, they, they, they feel overwhelmed oftentimes as we kind of go through this material, and it's oftentimes like... I don't know if I can do this. There's a real sense of, uh-oh, I'm going to fail. I can't carry this out. This is impossible. And in the flesh, in the flesh it absolutely is impossible. In the Christian life is impossible in the flesh. God working through us, we can do all things. But on our own, we certainly can't. And uh, in Isaiah 49... It says, can plunder be taken from warriors or captives rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. And I love it. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. Isaiah 49 verses 24 and 25. That God is our strength. He will contend as we step up in courage and obedience to be the protector. It is God's strength that is going to flow out of us. Luke 4 it talks about this is, a, this is a John the Baptist here. It says, a, actually, no, it's Christ reading the scroll of Isaiah. Sorry. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. If I were to ask you on the Old Testament, who defeated Goliath? Who did? David. David, but who's David credited for? Who did David say defeated Goliath? God. When David went out before Goliath, David didn't say, I'm going to kick your tail. He said, My God is going to take you down. And there was a very real sense that. Yes, David was the man that had the courage and the vision and the passion to step out. But God delivered the victory. So if, you, if you're wrestling with doubts or fears or any of that, you really dig it. Read the book of Joshua. I mean, it's just the story of a man that has sold his heart out to God and is walking in unknown but discovering victory every step of the way. It's an inspiring, I mean, he is an inspiring character to me. In Exodus, we first see him, and he's hanging out in the, in the tabernacle. And Moses leaves, and Joshua stays behind in the presence of the Lord. That's the very first time we see him as a young protege of Moses. Before we ever get married, we need to be that guy. 
If you're married and you're not that guy, we need to begin to linger in the presence of God because He is the one that is our strength. And for me, personally, the next thing is that maybe, maybe you are in a home and you didn't have a dad or your dad was deadbeat, off, and gone. Um, great news for you. Not that the past hasn't been painful or, or you wish it was different, but for my dad who didn't have a dad, when I was 21, I asked him, I said, how, I told him, I said, you, you've been a great father. And I told you, early on, there was a lot of stuff around the house and a lot of things that I wish I could have changed. But I saw my dad change. I saw God get a hold of my dad's heart as he got older. And, and out of that, I told him, how did you learn? You didn't have a dad. How did you learn how to be a dad? And he said, and he took me right here to Proverbs 23.10. He said, do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless. For their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. Another translation says that that God says, I am the father to the fatherless. My dad said, I am trying to be to you, Eric, what God the father is to me. That's all I'm trying to do. So what I see God doing in my life, I try to do in your life. That's a great model for us to say that, even if we haven't had the perfect role model, we can look and see what Christ has done in our life. We can look at what God has offered us. We know that He is our Father. We can walk that out knowing that He is our strength and that if we merely step out in courage and obedience and faithfulness, He will provide a victory of creating that environment around us that allows emotional, physical, and spiritual protection to be there And out of that grows all the rest of the roles that we're going to have. All of them will grow out of this environment. One of the great places this takes place is in your Bible study class. Your class, if you're not involved in a Bible study class, that's the community of God that breaks a big church down. It's like, you know, you have a nation, you have a state, you have a city, you have a neighborhood. So if you want to get down to the neighborhood where you know your neighbors, the place you get to know your neighbors is a place called your Bible study class. That's a place where discussions take place. That's a place where you get to know people besides just by their name, by their face. You actually know who those people are, and they get to know who you are. And so your Bible study class is beginning to be a place that you push, first put this to practice. Say, boy, I'm already married. I'm not sure if I'm doing very good at home. Well, one place you can, get, and you can start this is in your Bible study class. What kind of man, uh, from what does a man defend his Bible study? What, uh, what do you defend your home from? What are you trying to watch out for? I watch out for the TV. I watch what comes in the mail. I watch what comes on the computer. I watch who comes into the house. I watch where my na- where my kids are going. What is the atmosphere, emotional tone of your Bible study class or your home? What's the emotional tone? If you don't know and you're married, ask your wife. She'll tell you. She can tell you right away. And if she grabs at you, you know it already. Okay? And you can tell exactly from her response to you what you have. If you're not married, ask some good friends. Ask a gal who's a good friend of yours. Ask your mom. What kind of atmosphere? What kind of person you are? One of the basic needs that a man has is to protect. Uh, one of the basic needs that a man is to protect is emotional intimacy. Whew, okay, emotional. Let's be tough on that one. Intimacy is tough on that one. We're going to talk a little bit about this next week in terms of how we unpack this. But it's a one of the things we got to protect. It's safe enough that a person can have emotions. Okay, it's safe enough that there can be intimacy. I can share my deepest thoughts. I can share those things. This provides a sense of these three things. It provides a sense of belonging. Man, don't we want to be a a part of something? I want to be a part of something greater than myself. I want to belong to a greater cause. I want to be a part of a greater thing. 
It gives you a sense of value, a sense of value, of worth, importance, significance. And so as we, do, as we provide this protection, it gives a place of belonging. It gives a place of value, high honor. It gives a place of competency, adequacy. I'm not stupid. You're not a failure. But it gives a place. And, and my sons can say dumb things. It's safe enough to say something dumb. It's safe enough for my family to fight. Okay? And for you not, for that not to have to go outside, that we can work through things. It is hard sometimes that when we feel things, but they can say what they feel. Robert Lewis says this, three things every child, let me say this, three things every man needs to hear from their dad, if you don't have a dad, from your church family. Let me throw that in. And every wife needs to hear from her husband. I love you, I am proud of you, and you are good at fill in the blank. Everyone else needs to hear that. I love you. I'm proud of you. Man, you really do good, good at that. I am so proud of you to do that. Eric Reed is one of my all-time favorite teachers. I love him because he never disconnects his story, his Bible teaching from who he is as a person. You hear it every time he teaches. He's connected emotionally, and he connects you with that. So when I hear him teach, I go, wow, he's gutsy. He's, man, I love that, part, that, that fact. And so as you do those things, if there's not emotional closeness, intimacy with the opposite, then the opposite is true. If there's not that ability, not atmosphere for that, if emotional intimacy develops more rapidly when two things are properly presented in relation to a Bible study class or a home, and that is safety and enjoyment. My dad used to say this way. People who play together, pray together. If you're not willing to play with somebody, you're not going to be willing to pray with them. Spooky kooky then. <laughs> Spooky. Who am, I, who am I praying with? Who are you? What are you talking about? But if we don't enjoy one, so enjoyment is very important. That I am in, in since I know you and I have a, a connection point. But at that point, also, it's safe enough to be who you are and who you are. Seven thirty. This is our, our heaviest sense of content. These last two weeks, we'll be slowing down here. The next three weeks, as you look through this, please take time. If there's somebody within the room you know already, you can talk with that person. Great. Make sure you talk with them. Contact them. We also have the, the little uh, give bucket. If you'd like to help out with the cost of just this course, we'd appreciate that. And uh, let me pray with you as we, uh, as we leave. Father, thanks again for your great love for us. Father, thank you that you have made us safe enough. I, I, I look back at the cross, and I see a bunch of rebels that you died for, and that you stood up for, that you loved in spite of us not loving you. And so I think of that, and I think, man, what an awesome God you are. You have set the tone. You have humbled yourself. You have set the atmosphere. You have set the attitude. And Father, how can we do anything less than to bow our heads and say thanks? Father, you are awesome. Father, may we reciprocate what you have done already on earth here but through Jesus. May we be that great example. A man, a, a God who set that aside and was every bit a man uh, who humbled himself to be under your authority. I don't, I don't, I don't even understand it all. It's too unbelievable. So, Father, I, we do, we require that uh, even now as we bow our heads, we require that uh, to state this uh, publicly, that we are in need of you. And we desperately need you to work through us and in us to change us and transform us so our conduct and our actions would please you and show ourselves to be worthy of your great love for us. In Christ's name we pray.